Thank you, Wiguan, for uh, for that sharing. And I just want to uh, just want to pick up on a, a few things as we continue to consider the idea of um, physician hasten death or physician assisted suicide, whatever term you might want to use for that. Uh, I just want to take a few minutes here in our uh, this morning just to put a few biblical thoughts, uh, connect a few biblical ideas with that. We could spend a, a lot of time looking into this. These are, these are complicated issues uh, that relate to us very personally at times. Family and friends going through these things uh, and facing these end-of-life decisions. And so we, uh, uh, I'm not going to suggest that these are easy uh, for us to deal with. They are complicated issues. Uh, but I wanted to share a couple things from the Bible. Wiguan did that already, and I appreciated his sharing, but I wanted just to take a few verses and explore them a little bit, just to give us something to think about, uh, some biblical content for us to think about. There's lots more we could go into, uh, but I just wanted to uh, open uh, a few passages for us this morning. Let's, before we do that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come before you. And on issues like this, Lord, we confess that uh, we are lacking wisdom. And Lord, uh, there are many complicated issues. There are issues that your word does not address directly, but we know they were in your mind. And Lord, help us to uncover what was in your mind. What's in your mind on this issue? That we could live in a way, we could respond in a way, that brings honor and glory to you and is in obedience to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes the things we own, uh, our possessions become like old friends and we become very attached to them. You know, you think of, uh, of, of something maybe like, even like your laptop computer. Uh, I know some of you may uh, actually spend more time with your laptop than you do with your spouse or your children. And that's just the reality of life. And those things take on a personality of their own. Our, our oldest son had a laptop for a number of years, and when it finally died, it was, it was like an old friend of his had, had passed away. And I can, I can kind of relate to that, too. Uh, you know, we get attached to these things. Maybe there's a, a car you've had for a number of years, and it served you so well, and run so well and you've experienced, you've gone on holidays with this car and, and it becomes, it almost becomes like a person and you're, you're sad when it goes. You know, so, but these are just things in our life. But we all have, we all have that kind of attachment to them. Uh, recently I had to get rid of some old shirts that I had. And you know the, you know the kind, and some of you are smiling, so you know the kind, you know they get worn around the collars and the cuffs. And they get some stains on them that just won't come out anymore. But they're like an old friend. And they, you, you can remember the places you've been. In the, and, and you can look at pictures uh, from the past. And you see yourself wearing those clothes and, and, and wearing that shirt. And, but it starts to get some holes. And you, know, you don't really want to be seen in public with it anymore. So it sits in your closet. And unfortunately for me, some of those my shirts met, met an end and they sat in my closet and I knew I needed to get rid of them, but it was finally like, okay, I'm just going to wear it one more time. Because I, I, I just can't bring myself 
to get rid of it. So I wore it one more time, and then and then out it went. But it was it was kind of sad. And that, but that's just a shirt, right? That's just a shirt. It's it's our stuff. When it wears out, when it doesn't become useful to us anymore, when you get tired of it, you you get rid of it. When it's just more of an inconvenience to have it, and it's not really useful anymore, we just get rid of that. Why not do that with people, too? What's the difference? Is there a difference? Our people were just made of the same uh, molecules, the hydrogen, the, 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 the carbon, uh, these, these minerals that, uh, that, that are all around us and make up everything around us and make up the clothes we wear and make up our bodies. Well, we're no different, right? We're just a bunch of molecules put together in a certain way. So as we consider this idea of physician hasten death or, 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 or the, the, the issues of end-of-life decisions, uh, they are deeper than just our stuff. We are something fundamentally different uh, than, than the things that we own. We, uh, uh, we wouldn't say the same things about a person that we'd say about the clothes that we wear, or the car that we drive, or the computer that we use. So, let's take the time and look at, at, a, at a few biblical truths just to help us frame this whole discussion with a few uh, thoughts from the Bible. So the first, the first one here. No, there we go. The first thing we are made in God's image, and we Guan uh, brought uh, that verse to our attention, and that comes from Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. And the Bible says there. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made in God's image. We are valuable because, that, uh, because of that. We are not something to get rid of when it simply becomes inconvenient for us to be around or for others to have us around. We are indeed made in God's image. And we need to hold on to that idea as central to who we are and as central to who every person in this world is. We are made in God's image. Every single human being, all seven billion of us, are made in God's image. And whatever physical or mental condition you may be in, it doesn't never, ever negate the fact that we are made in God's image. And we need to remember that. We see when we look at the account in Genesis, in the creation accounts of Genesis 1 and 2, we see that, that the Bible tells us that we are different from the other things that God created. There is something particularly valuable and important about humans. We are the ones that God created to have a relationship with. It wasn't uh, the dogs or the cats or the birds or the fish 
that God spent His time walking in the Garden of Eden with. But it was human. They are created in a, in a special way in that image of God. Scripture continually and routinely affirms the value of human life. There is something fundamentally different about us. And we need to respect that. We need to respect that God that has given life. We find that when we continue to look in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible gives us a, an illustration of the, the, uh, the, that concept of the uh, particular value of, of man. And uh, he says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 5, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man, or mankind, or humans there. God has made man. And he says there's something special uh, about the life that is in a human that demands a special uh, price be paid. God's, God values all life. There is something important in all of it. And, and when you read this passage, you see He is giving value to all living creatures. But to people, there is something special. There is something special about that. And He says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. There is something important. If you take the life of a man, you have done something that goes against the fundamental nature of God. You have killed something that is created in the image of God. And that should cause us to stop and reflect on that. What is the value of a person? What are we, what are we doing when we look at a, at a human and when we consider what to do with our lives, with our lives and the lives of those around us, we have to think, how does God value this life? You know, we may, we may look the same. Uh, you know, we may, if, if you, if you take sort of a scientific look at a, at a person, we may look the same as all the other animals. Our, our blood looks pretty much the same when you, uh, check the DNA, you know, you find that there's a, a great number of similarities between humans and, and other animals. Uh, but there is something fundamentally different. There is something fundamentally different about a human. It's the relationship with God. When we start to look at the New Testament, Jesus says His purpose, His mission, He came to seek and save that which was lost. He was looking for people. It was look, he was people that he spoke to. It was humans that he came and healed. It was humans that he came and cast the demons out of, and the humans who he cared for and spent his time with. And so we see there is a, a fundamental priority uh, that Jesus gives, not to everything in creation, but to humans. Why? Because we are created in the image of God. Even in the other parts of the New Testament as well. In the book of Acts, when Paul and Silas are in prison, 
And they're praying and the doors of the, of the prison are opened. The jailer responds and he says he's going to kill himself because he thinks the prisoners have escaped and Paul stops him. And he says, no, don't do that. And he, and he goes on to explain the Gospel to, this, uh, to the jailer there. But Paul was concerned about this person. There was something uh, of value that Paul didn't, didn't want him to take his own life. He wanted to stop him from doing that. And so we need to remember that we are made in God's image. We wrestle with that. And we think about that as we consider this, uh, uh, this, the issue of, uh, of end-of-life choices that we're talking about today. So we need to keep that in mind that we are made in God's image. The next thing we, uh, we need to consider is that death is our enemy. Uh, we need to choose life. In 1 Corinthians 15.26, it says quite simply, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is our enemy. Death is not our friend. The focus on death as an answer to life's problems is not really a biblical idea. The Bible talks about it and it values life. Our original life that was given from God to Adam in Genesis chapter 2 when God breathed life into this human that He had formed, God did something special there. The very breath of God went into mankind as God created us. And so, we need to welcome life. It's a sacred gift from God that He has given us. He has given us life. He has created us in our mother's womb. He knew us at that point and He knows us every step of the way. And so death is our enemy. Life is our friend. And it's only at that time when God chooses to end our lives do we ever uh, welcome death. When we say this is God's time. This is God's time. We need to be careful about saying, and, and Wiguan alluded to that and talked about that a bit too. We need to be careful what are we doing when we say, I'm going to decide when it's time for me to die? We're taking a decision out of God's hands. We're not respecting Him. We're not showing that our lives are in His hands. So life is the, is the answer to us. Death is our enemy. Life is the answer. And we look, even in, in the time of Jesus, even in the life of Jesus, the apparent death of Jesus on the cross, Jesus takes that and He turns it to life. He comes back from the dead. And His life gives us eternal life. And so we need to recognize the importance of life. So as we share in Jesus' suffering, we also share in His life. He gives us that life. We look and we see in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30, verse 19 to 20, when the, given the choice between life and death, God speaks to the nation of Israel and He tells them to choose life. And this is Moses, God speaking through Moses. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 and 20, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, 
that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life, and He will give you many years in the land He swore to give to your fathers. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 to 20. The life here in this passage that Moses is talking about is not just physical life. He's talking about the fullness of life, about everything in our life. For the Israelites, that the life meant the Lord, their relationship with the Lord, the law, physical life, every step, every breath that they took. That's what he's talking about. All of it together. All of life together. And Moses challenges the people of Israel at this time to find full life in God. He says, don't choose death. Choose life. God offers us. God gives us the gift of life. And Moses urged the people of Israel to take that gift of life and hold on to it. Hold on to life in its fullness. Whatever that might mean for each person. But to hold on to the Word of God, to hold on to the relationship with God Himself, to hold on to our physical life. Choose that life. Do not choose death. Moses doesn't seem to enter into any debate about this. He doesn't seem to enter into any thought that perhaps accepting or not accepting life are, are viable options. He says simply, now choose life. So Moses puts it fairly bluntly to the people of Israel. It's been put this way uh, by some writers. They've said euthanasia spurns the gift and embraces the curse. So in response to this passage in Deuteronomy, in response to the whole issue of uh, physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia, they say euthanasia spurns the gift and embraces the curse. He's putting it fairly strongly here, but saying, actually, you're embracing the curse that's on us if you rush into death. That we're we're putting aside the gift of life that God has given us and accepting what what, what, what God does not want for us. So I turn that around and I say, Instead of euthanasia spurns the gift and embraces the curse, we say we can say accept the the gift, refuse the curse, choose life, choose life. Even when life is hard and there seems to be no way out, when there seems to be no purpose in continuing on, we need to choose life. That's the gift that God has given us. We know that uh, physical death is inevitable for us. You know that the, if if we say, "Well, yes, we're all going to die." I mean, we all we all know that, don't we? I mean, and, and Hebrews nine twenty seven uh, uh, tells us that uh, uh, that yes, we we only have one life to live. We're all destined to die. Uh, we die once. Even those that Jesus raised back to life, like uh, Lazarus, his friend. Lazarus was going to die anyway, eventually. Lazarus did die eventually. So, 
We know that. We know that death is a natural, inevitable part of our life. The question is, who is sovereign over that? God alone is sovereign over that. God alone is sovereign over how and when a person's death will occur. And we can look at at, at Job, our friend who suffered greatly. And Job, in the midst of all of his suffering, in the midst of all he's going through, Job says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And that's just when his, in the first round of attacks, Job went under. In the second round, when things got even worse for him, when everything, his, everything he had was gone, his family, all his wealth, his health was gone, everything was gone except for the breath that he had in him. His wife tells him, curse God and die. Just get it over with, Job. Just do something so some lightning bolt from heaven will come down and strike you dead. Why go through all this suffering? Doesn't this sound similar to what we are dealing with here today, this situation? And Job, how does he respond? He says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Job's response to his wife is very simple. Shall we accept the good things from God and not the trouble? His answer is a rhetorical question because Job doesn't curse God and try and die. He doesn't take his own life. He, he says, no, I accept this from God. God has the final say over death. We see all life and death in His hands. And physician-assisted suicide or physician-hastened death seems to be man's attempts to, to take that authority from God. We want to counteract, overturn God's plans. We don't like what's in store, so we try and change the situation. Death is a natural occurrence, uh, but sometimes God allows a person to suffer for a long time before death occurs. That happens. That's reality of life. And it's difficult. I'm not going to deny that. I cannot deny that. That is a very difficult situation for people to be in. No one enjoys suffering. No one enjoys watching someone else suffer. But that doesn't mean that we have the right to take that time of death away from God and put it in our own hands. Then the third thing to say is there can be a purpose in every life. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There can be purpose and value, even in suffering. The idea that somehow suffering is not really biblical, is, uh, is not for us, is not a biblical idea. The Bible usually treats suffering and hardship as the norm for Christians. That if we're going to be a follower of Christ, life is going to be difficult. And we see many people who had a purpose even in the suffering at the end of their life. John Calvin, the great reformer, he suffered many illnesses. He was a very sick and weak man at the end of his life. And he was suffering greatly at the end of his life. But even as he was sick in bed. He continued to have people come to him and, counsel, and, and he'd give them counsel and he gave them words to encourage them and to help them. And at times, he even got to the point where he had to be carried on a stretcher to church 
But he continued to go and he continued to minister and do what he could. He was going even to meetings in a, on a stretcher. How many of us here are going to come, you know, on, have us wheeled into our, to our members' bi-monthly meeting on a stretcher because this is so important to us? Not very many, but that's what John Calvin was doing because he saw value in his own life. And some of the last words he wrote just, be, just a few days, literally a few days before his, his death, he was still writing to encourage and to help people. And he says, I draw my breath with difficulty. And I am daily waiting till I altogether cease to breathe. It is enough that to Christ I live and die. To His people He is gain in life and death. Farewell again. Not forgetting the brethren. He wrote this just about two weeks before he died. He was writing because he knew his life still had purpose, even at the end and even in all of his suffering. Our response to suffering can be a witness to others so they can see how to die gracefully and how to die with God's purpose. We can't deny that there is suffering and some of it is terrible. Some people live in terrible physical and emotional torment and sometimes very long periods of time. We can understand why their patience in these times of suffering runs to an end. Yet Jesus recognized Himself. He recognized there's a time to die. Himself, as He comes to the end of His life, and we can see this in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26, He recognizes that the time of His death is coming close. And he says to God, he says, if there's any other way, take this from me. He didn't want to go through the death. He said, no. Can this happen some other way? And God says, no, it can't. And he accepts God's plan. And even the thieves that he is crucified on the cross with, the thief on his right and his left, and, and he had the power, he had the authority to rescue that thief from, uh, from death and from that punishment. And his response is, today you'll be with me in paradise. He knew there was a time uh, for an end of life. But he accepted that it happened according to the will of God the Father. And we should be able to do that in our own lives as well. Now there's a couple of things to, to say, and, and Wiguan has, has talked about these already, that uh, uh, you know, not everybody sees it this way. You know, this we're trying to build a biblical framework for us and for ourselves to try and interact with uh, what's going on around us. We need to recognize we're in a culture that doesn't see it that way necessarily. That, that not everyone shares that Christian worldview with us. Carrie Joyner writing uh, for Relevant uh, puts it this way, We were never commissioned to demand that secular culture reflect biblical principles. We were commissioned to reflect biblical principles in the middle of secular culture pointing to God's redemptive story. So the fact that some or most in our culture uh, might not agree with us shouldn't deter us from saying something. The other point that needs to be made is that just because it's going to be allowed doesn't mean we have to do it for ourselves and for our loved ones. And that will be a frightening point in society if we ever get there, won't it, when, when these things are legislated upon us and someone else uh, 
makes that decision for us. But for now, we can just respond to what's going on around us. We can accept the gift, refuse the curse, and choose life. A better response to this whole issue is just to better care for those who are suffering and dying. It's a better way. It's not easier, but it's a better way to be with them, to walk with them through these hard times, to give them hope in the final days. And ultimately, it comes down to trust. Do I trust God for everything? Do I trust God at the end of my life as well as at the beginning in the middle? If I've trusted God, if I've been faithful and trusted Him to provide for me and care for me and watch over me and guide my life for 50, 60, 70 years, why in the last few days do we abandon that trust and say, well now, at this point, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I've trusted God for 70 years. And now here I am at the end of my life and I want to control it. It comes down to trust. Why not trust God on your deathbed as well? This last song that as the worship team comes to sing for us, this last song today talks about God's sovereignty. Being in His arms, being held in His hands, and trusting Him from beginning to end. Let's have that kind of faith that trusts in God. Even in these kind of difficult end-of-life decisions that we face. Let me just pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We pray that it would teach us, it would guide us and instruct us in all things. In Jesus' name, Amen.